Richards Bowie Versus Tillian Is this year when I'm glowy Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy Or a villain It's time for Bowie versus Dylan. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Bowie versus Dylan. I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan. And today, we're going back in the time machine to that year of all years, 1993. Chaz, what were you doing in 1993? Uh, let's see. 1993. Mm. I was 12 for most of the... No, wait. No, that's 11 me. for most of the year. <laughs> 10 for most of the year. I can't figure out what age I was, apparently. No, I was 10 for most of the year. Yeah. I turned 11 <laughs> late in the year. I don't know what I was doing. Jake, I'm going to tell you right now, uh-huh. I have got so much stuff to talk okay. about. That let's get rid of these pleasantries. Oh, okay. okay. And the small talk, okay? All right, so... Let's get down to... Let's get down to brass tacks. So what you're saying is you're not going to reciprocate the question and ask me what I was doing in 1993. <laughs> I don't care, Jake. I yeah, okay. All right. I can see where we stand. That's Jake, fine. Jake, what were you doing in 1993? You know, it doesn't matter. Now I don't want to tell you. It was really cool, but now I'm not going to tell you. It's fine. Go on with good, your good. Go on with good, your I didn't stuff. Wanna, I didn't want to hear it anyways. So That's fine. I'm going to go. Hey, Jake. Yeah. 1993. Let's talk about what David Bowie was doing in 1993. I don't know. Maybe which I is way more interesting than what any, either of us were doing in 1993. <laughs> How dare you? You speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was there. It's more interesting than anything you were doing in 1993. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, Jake, somehow, as late in the game as we are, episode number, what, 52? Yeah, uh, 52. Expected, like, mid-60s, 64, 65 episodes. Sure. Bowie has three different years in which he released two albums, and somehow we have not done any of them. Is that right? Until, until today, Jake. <laughs> I know, 1983. Shots it's fired. a double album year. <laughs> you know what? I, I feel like we should have a, like... <laughs> double mint double jingle <laughs> <laughs> yeah like a slack jack radio <laughs> That's right. double album year coming up double next it's the double album double year, album oh, year. Yeah, something like that <laughs> and it'd be like fart <laughs> <laughs> noises uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah so the first one Jake uh-huh. is a little album by the name of Black Tie White oh Rise. yeah I remember this one kinda the title gets more irritating every time you hear it just want you to know that. I don't think it's. I don't think it's that bad. Yeah, all right. All right. I haven't heard it as Jake, much as you. I would describe black tie white noise as having a smooth, sophisticated club sound. Would you agree? <laughs> I've never heard it, but yes, absolutely. Yes, yes. It's a huge break. This is his first. Uh, this is one of his comeback albums. Okay. This is probably. I'm gonna go with maybe his second best comeback album after the next day. Because at this point, he's coming back from Tin Machine. Tin Machine winds things up in 92. Mm. Boy threatens to bring them back together (laughs) for the next several years. He seems to really think that they're going to do another album in like 94. As God intended. Fortunately, it never happens. Uh Uh, Instead, he comes out with a a record that has a smooth, sophisticated club sound by the name of Black Tie White Noise. All right. Uh, I would say it's one of the biggest jumps, like, sound-wise, between albums in his entire career. This is a career of, you know, jumps. Many jumps. Although, well, he, he doesn't, he has, he has a lot of transition albums. Like, you think like to think about Bowie, like, jumping just crazy style between albums, but it's not. It's more periods, you know. He does a couple albums in a theme, but he kind of transitions to other albums. This is just very different. Okay. 
Um, it is, yeah, it gets got a, a lot of beats to it. It prefigures his uh, very electronic period of the 90s. My uh, my cat's going to contribute to the podcast. So oh, is that what that is? Her meowing in. That's all her. Oh, uh, new cat. Oh, she's leaving the room again. Bye, okay. cat. Bye. Uh, it features, Jake, a gif- gentleman besides David, whose last name is also Bowie. What? But his first name is not David. It's Lester. Lester Bowie? Lester Bowie. Is this an alter ego that David Bowie created? Plays, no, Lester Bowie, real guy who played trumpet all over this album. No relation. Uh, not, not, not related since, you know, David Bowie's real name is not Bowie. <sighs> and also Lester Bowie is black. <laughs> so that mm-hmm. makes that a little more difficult. That doesn't matter. Uh, I was all ready to like make fun of him because his name is Lester. But then yeah. I read a little bit more of Lester and he's pretty awesome. Oh, way to go, like, Lester. He was a band leader going back to the 60s. Playing trumpet all over the place, plays with some other people, played with Fela Cootie for a while. Oh, so anyway, Fela Cootie's got to be all right, love you know? Me. Love me, You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, Jake? You know what I'm saying. You know, you know what I'm saying. You know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. I do. Uh, okay, Jake, I've got so many multiple qu- choice questions in this episode that I actually got rid of some of them because there were too many multiple questions. But let's hit you with the first one. Oh, wow, I'm ready. Let's do it. On Black Toy White Noise, Bowie does not one, not two, not three, but four covers. Mm. One of the covers, one of the bands he covered was which seminal 60s, 70s rock band? Was it Deep Purple? Okay. Cream? Mm. Led Zeppelin? Okay. Or Black Sabbath? These are all, these are all good choices. Mm-hmm. Uh... I have no way of knowing how to answer this question, so I'm going to say just because it has come up. It has come up in an episode. Has it really? Oh, it's been a while. It's a while back. It got mentioned in the covers episode. Okay, when, so it's, where we talked about what, who they cover. Who oh, they right, 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 right. Oh, and it was one of your choices, or was it like an honorable mention or something? No, it was one of the worst covers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, unfortunate. Okay, uh, deep it's purple. It's not that awful. It's, it's just it's very jarring and I, it doesn't really work. But no, deep purple, Led Zeppelin. Who are the other two? Cream and Cream. Black Sabbath. All right, I'm gonna go with Black Sabbath. No, no, Incredible. deep purple. It was deep purple. Cream. Oh man. Uh, yeah, he took Cream's "I Feel Free" and made it into oh. a smooth, sophisticated club track. <laughs> As is his want. That's what was his watch in 1993. It, uh, it doesn't really work. We'll come back to that song a little bit later. That's a good song. All right. Cover number two. Okay. Bowie covered which 80s sad sack rock musician? Oh. Was it Robert Smith? Uh-huh. Of course, The Cure. Yeah. Sinead O'Connor. Mmm. Morrissey. Mm-hmm. Or Susie Sue. Oh, yeah. I was you just... Know, Susie and the Banshees. I don't know why I was just thinking of Suzy Sue today, but I was, and that's weird. Well, okay. okay. Uh, I'm going to go with, uh, I think I know this. I think you might have mentioned this. Is this it, one's been mentioned more recently. Is it Morrissey? It is Morrissey. Okay. Correct. Yes. That came yes. up in the uh, <laughs> the Frenemies episode. Right. right. Rivalry episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Third cover, Jake. He covered which longtime idiosyncratic cigarette songwriter? Bob Dylan. Was oh the song covered by Morrissey was uh, I know it's going to happen someday. Okay. Okay. Choices for longtime idiosyncratic singer songwriter was it Leonard Cohen? Mm. Tom Waits. Yeah. Got Walker. Yeah. Or Bob Dylan. <laughs> uh, I don't think he did a Bob Dylan cover. I know that Tin Machine did. I don't think he did a cover uh, that soon after Tin Machine. Let's go with uh, Scott Walker. 
That is correct. Yes. Well done, my friend. Oh, well oh, oh, oh. The song you covered was Night Flights. Yeah. I, All right. And next up is one of the uh, multiple choice questions I removed because the question would have been, what was this, what artist, incredibly, unbelievably secure, obscure artist did he cover? And that would not have made any sense as a question because what's going on there? I don't. I don't. So this is the most obscure cover he ever did. Okay. He covered Tara Mint Himbara. Yeah. That's a, the story that's behind a, it is apparently that's an artist. He, if you'll recall, what's that? That's an artist, or that's the song name? It's an artist. Okay. No, that's the artist. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The name of the song is "Don't Bring Me Down and Down." At least that's the translation. So the story is, you know, he just married Iman in '92. Way to go! And uh, so he, I saw some interview where he's talking about this, where he uh, he he says that you know when he meets somebody new, he likes to look at their record collection. This is very over rehearsed. Like, oh, yes. <laughs> I'm telling this like kind of you know off the cuff sounding, but obviously very well. Yeah, yeah. He's making uh, the rounds. Uh, interview. Yep, uh-huh. yep. He was he was using the story, and nice. so he came up with this record. I can't even figure out where the record was from. It was you know, I, I'm guessing Indonesian, but um, which I'll get to in a second. Okay. That Iman had in there, and he just like really liked the sound. It was a super obscure record that you know. 500 copies had made of that Iman picked up somewhere in the world in her travels. Sure. And uh, Bowie decided to cover it. So uh, he also did record it. The reason I'm, I'm guessing it's Indonesian is because he recorded a version of it where he sang in Indonesian. Oh, yeah, that would make sense. So that would make sense. Mm-hmm. That would make sense, yeah. So that was the four covers. Uh, Jake, okay. next we're going to move into some of the featured players, besides L- uh, Lester Bowie, of course, on, uh, on this record. So this record featured the return of several notable people from Bowie's past. This right. is like a this was your life. Who's who is behind door number one? A reunion of sorts. So it featured the return of what longtime absent Bowie producer? <laughs> was it uh-huh. Ken Scott, who last produced Pinups in 1973? Okay. Harry Maslin, who last produced Station to Station in 1976. Yeah. Tony Visconti, who last produced Scary Monsters in 1980. Yeah. Or Niall Rogers, who last produced Let's Dance in 1982. Oh, man. I've heard all of those names from you. I know. Because uh, they're all notable. Okay, I'm going to give it I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it the Visconti. Let's go with Visconti. No. Oh. No, yes, no. That was, was much Niall later. Niall Rogers, last produced Oh, no, I did not. See, I did not know that. That would have been a fourth back. choice. Way to go, Niall. How about with this smooth, sophisticated club sound? Was he ready to uh, just make Bowie's album for him again? Is that what he, he wanted? He was to ready, and Bowie <laughs> didn't let him this time. Oh, Bowie. Yeah, I know. I know. He was coming in. He was ready to make Let's Dance too, and he was ready to just do it. Yeah. And then he got shut down by Bowie all the time, and he was like, hey, let's just do this. And Bowie's like, nah, I actually want to do what I want to do this time. And then Niall, so. Niall was in the corner just being like, well, it worked last time. Oh, okay. Dude, I wish well, I was I guess, still a I guess, I guess he doesn't want to sell 12,000 million records, I guess. Okay. <laughs> Which Bowie didn't. No, I know. <laughs> he didn't. He may he not have no that. matter he what he did. He was done doing that. He, he may not have no matter what he did, but. All right, I almost made this into a question. This is another one that I threw out. It also featured the return of a longtime absent Bowie pianist. Mm. Um, but it had to really dig to even find names. Like, I came up with uh, one of the choices with Rick Wakeman, which is a good choice because, you know, he's best known for Yes and uh, showed up on multiple albums. Yes! Uh, but the one that really, like, and the and I had to really dig to find the other two, and I thought, what's the point of this? Let's just, let's just go. <laughs> uh, so it featured the return of Mike Garson, who we made an honorary Mick because he's so awesome. Mick Garson, yeah. Mick Garson mm-hmm. in his first Bowie album sends Young Americans in 1975. Wow. There it is. 
There it is. Okay, thanks. And finally, Jake, uh-huh. it re- featured the return of what longtime absent Bowie guitarist? Oh. Was it Earl Slick, who last played on, st- played on Station to Station in 1976? Okay. Robert Fripp, who last played on mm. Scary Monsters in 1980? Yes. Carlos Alomar, who last played on Never Let Me Down in 1987? Or Mick Ronson, who last <laughs> played on Pinups in 1973? <laughs> you have a big poop eating grin on your face, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care who knows it. I don't care who knows it. Just saying the name Mick Ronson made you just. It just makes me happy. Smile. I just say it every time smile. I get to say it. Uh, well, I, I, clearly the only answer is Mick Ronson. Oh, it was Mick Ronson! Yeah! Mick Ronson played on only one song. That song was I Feel Free, the cover I created. The worst cover ever. <laughs> Great. Now, Jake, yeah. I have something that I need you to do. Okay. You need to take off your hat if you're wearing one. I'm which not. not. Nope. You need to get out your lighter. Oh, I don't have one Light of those that either. lighter. Okay. Put it in your air. Yeah. You not you don't have a lighter, Jake. I'm I'm not sure what's going on right now. No, I don't have. You one. do? Have you stopped smoking? Smoking? You're you're vaping yeah. now? No. <laughs> I do the kind of vaping. I know you, you still do two packs of Virginia Slims every day. You know, I have to. Uh, I do the kind of vaping where you do light it for some reason, but I don't. <laughs> I don't have the lighter around right now, and I'm sorry. Do it. Is it not okay that I just wave my arm around or what? I, I will go for it. Okay, here I go. Jake, this is. Maybe uh, we are the world. I don't. I don't know how to tell you this, Jake. What? Mick Ronson died in 1993. Oh, come on! All of that, buddy. Buddy, we gotta we gotta have a talk here. <laughs> well, uh, died of cancer about a month after Black Tie White Nose was. Released. You know, that's not even a funny story. It's not a funny story. Mick Ronson. Mick. Oh, Mick. Man, R.I.P. Rick. Oh, Mick. I know. Mick. 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 We miss you, Mick. Mick, here's a little, you know, just, it's like he's just up there ripping tasty licks on a harp, you know? <laughs> just I was like, picturing caps on, a, on an axe, and it's just a, a ripping tasty guitar. And maybe the... And maybe the <laughs> don't cry for him. <laughs> you know, all the collaborators are, are cool in heaven, and all the, yeah, well, all the licks are the tastiest. I'll just yeah, say that. He's jabbing with Bowie right now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's and, right. and Bob Dylan once he gets up there, <laughs> which we're not sure. <laughs> It'll finally actually, bring them together. We're not actually... I'm sure he's going he's gonna to throw a curveball at her and choose not to die. Who knows? Who knows? He's, he's still deciding. <laughs> we're not sure. <laughs> Whatever people least expect him to do, which we all expect him to die someday. So yeah. Not not now. No. Yeah. No, he'll give an interview about it one day. Good. We're not sure. All right. What else? What else? Uh, he didn't go on tour. They did a few TV performances, including a ripping performance in Arsenio Hall again. Those two are uh, pals. They're buddies. They yeah. obviously enjoy each other. Stylish family. gentlemen, both. Yeah, stylish gentlemen. Yeah. No, they were. <laughs> I watched it. They were good. Nice. They're good. Uh, Bowie did release a VHS tape. Ah, great. Of interviews and really half-assed videos. Nice. Which we'll get to later. <laughs> <laughs> Is it called interviews and half-assed videos? No, it's I called didn't. black tie white noise. That's how the oh, they put I it. Into it you know? Maybe crap tie white noise. No, keep going, Jake. I'm going to wait for you to finish this. <laughs> crap, crap, crap tie blight noise. No? Uh, that's all I got. Okay. Uh... <laughs> Phil Glass, who we just talked about recently. Yeah, just two episodes ago. Phil uh, His Glass. first symphony based on Bowie. Nice. The Low Symphony was first performed in 1993. 
symphonic version of Low, and by Low I mean three songs off of Low, uh, one of which was actually a bonus track. All of them <laughs> 18 minutes long. And yes, oh yes, it's a full album's worth thing. No, sure. Three different songs. And featuring one chord. So, one chord, <laughs> yeah. It's slow, it's a slow one. I like the Hero Symphony better, but the Low Symphony's good too, don't worry. All right, and finally we're going to move on to the second of the two albums from 1993. Okay. So the second is called Buddha of Suburbia. Oh, yeah, right. An album that you did not hear of because nobody heard of this. Right. It's one of his, like, least known albums. Uh, Bowie, the background is that Bowie did the score for a TV limited series called, you guessed it, Buddha of Suburbia. What? Weird. Uh, Bowie took the original pieces and kind of messed them around with them with a gentleman by the name, and I do not know how to pronounce his last name, Ertl Kazilke. You got who it. Who is a guy that Nailed I have it. not really talked about, but he he did a lot with Bowie in the 90s. And they were all, like, he's all over this album. It was just basically, the bulk of the album was recorded entirely by just the two of them. Um, the first song, now it's like was marketed as a soundtrack, but the first song on the album is the only one that actually appeared in the TV show. Okay. Otherwise, Bowie took the songs and messed with them and made new stuff, and so it was marketed as a soundtrack and it tanked. Like, didn't do go anywhere or do anything because everyone thought it was just like a soundtrack. But it's not yeah. really a soundtrack at all. It's, oh. it's just an album that has one song that was also in a sound, like also in a movie, in a TV yeah, movie. Yeah, sure. So to this day, like sometimes people will say that Bowie had you know twenty seven albums because they're not counting. Buddha of Suburbia. So, How dare they? He has 27 albums. He has 28, counting the 10 Yeah, come it's on, guys. Albums. Come on, historians. Okay. Get okay. with it. Yeah. Uh, I got another multiple choice question for you here, Jake. Ready. One track on Buddha of, Suburb- Buddha of Suburbia features what mainstream 90s rocker? Mm. Was it Lenny Kravitz? Ooh, yes. Cyril Crow. Okay. Ben Harper. Wow. Or Macy Gray. <laughs> These are taking me back. I think that's a <laughs> little early. They were meant to. They that's a little to. early for Macy Gray, I want to say. Uh, is it? It's not Lenny Kravitz, is it? It most definitely is. Yeah! <laughs> are you going to go my way? You did. He plays on the second version of the song called Buddha of Suburbia. There's oh. two versions of the song. Is it a, is it, it a, the one. is it featuring Lenny Kravitz or is he just nah, a Nah, you can't even really tell he's there. It could be anybody. Well, it should feature him. It could be Bowie. It could be Ertl Kozulke. It could, you know. <laughs> Featuring Ertl Kozulke. I, mean, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I feel bad. I, I feel like it's probably like Polish or something like yeah. that. I don't know. Well. I don't know. You butchered Lenny Kravitz's as well. So it's, you're just on <laughs> a roll. Wait. It's <laughs> Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> All right, Jake. We're yeah. finally up to my favorite part of this podcast. Oh, perfect. Uh, I love it. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm ready. What do I get to do? So, Bowie, well, you're not doing anything. Oh. I'm well, doing then, stuff. That's not my favorite. It's <laughs> not my favorite. This isn't going as long as I thought. I was worried this was going to be really long. But well, I have a lot to say, too, so you We're better. powering through here. Don't, i got some stuff to talk about. At points, don't get though. lazy about it. So Bowie did make a cameo appearance in a short-lived TV show called Full Stretch. Mm. And Full Stretch was about a uh, limo driver, which is why I think I think it's a pun of some kind, you know? Yeah, like a stretch, stretch limo. limo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's the full stretch. So he has a, bo- has a cameo in the very first episode. He cameos as himself. Okay. So this limo driver, I didn't bother to watch the whole episode because Bowie's in like three minutes of it. And it's like an hour long. Is so he, is I he just, a limo driver? I found, I found one of those power edits on YouTube, which I find for all of his cameos and just watched the times when Bowie's on. Totes. Way to he go. Um, so... 
I don't know the full plot. I just know this limo driver who presumably is the main character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He didn't seem like it was terribly smart. Um, there was some switch up, so he is Bowie's limo driver rather than the normal guy. Mm. And uh, I am going to share with you a direct quote from this episode, Jake, four lines here. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell all the listeners, Jake, yourself and all the listeners at home, does this sound like something I would make up, but I solemnly swear on our mother's tender heart that I did not make this up. And he doesn't do that lightly. It's only like once a week that he swears on our mother's Once a week. Uh, so is this time. Bowie saying this or the or the limo Well, driver? I'm going to go back and forth. I'm going to do back oh, and forth. Oh, 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 you're doing both parts. I'll start with the limo driver, oh. well, which will give a little more of a cockney. This is kind of like uh, a... And then we'll go to Bowie, who'll be a little more sophisticated. This is kind of like the... Uh, this is BVD theater without... Oh, the, we got BVD theater for sure, Jake. But it's, but the it's, theater but it's without the... Right it's, it's without the VD. It's just a B theater. There's no, there's no dill. You wait, Jake. You wait. Oh! Saucy. You're the first celebrity I've ever driven. You didn't have that Dylan in the back of the car the other week, then. What? Dylan Ooze, sir. (laughs) Shut up. What? (laughs) Did this happen? And related to is, I would like to take this opportunity to announce my autobiography, which will be called Dylan (laughs) Ooze, sir. Written by Charlie Beck, disavowed <laughs> by Jake Beck. Disavowed completely. Oh, man. No way. His response to his credit was Dylan Dylan, but Dylan yeah. Hooser. It's just, it just made my whole week, Jake, when I came across this. I can't believe it. There's been a lot of, uh, not to get into it too much, but I feel like there's been a lot of Bowie and Dylan convergences lately. There have. Well, I, I'm just going to share it. I was reading this share it, man. novel called Stardust uh, by Mike Allred and somebody else. Um, it was really cool. It was really good. And it's just about his earlier years. It goes up through kind of like the end of the Ziggy era, like the end of pinups, which he has expressed an interest in doing more. I don't know if he'll get a chance to. I don't know if he did well enough. But I sent, I don't know, two, three different pictures out yeah. of here of times when like yeah. there were multiple. It's a graphic cause novel. Because it's a graphic a comic, novel. He really, he really went into his sources and he like. He drew out, you know, he puts in the album covers and he puts in a bunch of different magazines and actual appearances on TV. Like, he obviously did his homework big time. Like, there's really a lot of historical stuff in there. There was at least two or three different magazine covers that he put in there that had Bowie as the, the headline and then yeah. Dylan as the guy immediately below. Right. So I had I had to share it with Jake and give him a hard time. It's like, uh, it yeah. Great. And then and then two times, I think, in one week on superdeluxeedition.com, which we both... Yeah, we both read. There was like one. There was like a shout out to Paul at Super Deluxe Edition. Yes, love it. We know you Uh, listen, like everyone, (laughs) like every single person. Uh, There, like twice, there was a Bowie item, and then a Dylan, and then a Dylan, and then a Bowie. Yeah, immediately before. Yeah, yeah. So we were uh, we were geeking out on that too. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I gotta assume that we're just like integrating into the public consciousness. That's what we're doing, and someday, someday we'll get the credit. Insidiously. Just, you know, implanting right. ourselves. That's right. Every rock critic is, every time they think of one, they just all of a sudden think of another and they don't know why. They can't tell you, you can't exactly they explain don't know why. why. You know? They don't know why, but hey, hey. It's, in the, Dylan. it's in the air. Dylan Bowie. Yeah. Yep. And then they yeah. send us a million dollars. Every time. Every single, every single, every single. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'd settle for just one time. If, if just I think one just once, once is enough. I mean, Once is enough. I don't want to be, you know. Signing all those it's checks. It's not quite what we're worth, but it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, after the first check, I guess I can, instead of signing them, I can buy one of those stamps. And then after the second one, I can just hire somebody to full-time stamp my checks. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And, that person, <laughs> you know. and that, person is, that person is me. I'm ready to do that. <laughs> hire me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, 
I'm already ready for the year and hair, which made this took longer than I thought it did. I don't know. It feels like the, this time just flew by, Jack. I got a lot to I got a lot to say too. So you go for well, it. You're in here. Good. So Bowie, you're in here. So I've been thinking about this, you know, this this episode. <laughs> so we think of Bowie, we think about him in all these like wild costumes from the Ziggy era, you know? Mm-hmm. But he spent so little of his career dressing in ridiculous costumes. Yeah. Right. Most of his costume, he dressed in suits. Sure. The guy wore a lot of suits. Sometimes zoot suits, sometimes not. Zoot suits? Oh, yeah. But they're pretty zooty. I mean, <laughs> and he's, he said this before, but he pretty much wanted his whole career to be a little richer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And he, and like, and so he's, he's got this kind of thing to him. And he does this, he does this in 1993. It's like these TV appearances. They use this, like this, he must have brought in his own set because he uses the same set on multiple TV appearances and in, in some of the music videos from that VHS tape you released. Sure. Um, but it's him, like, you know, in this big double-breasted suit, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, a well-cut suit, you know. Very well-cut. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's got backup dancers and singers, and not, not dancers, backup singers and stuff, and he's got this bigger band, you know, with, like, Lester Bowie playing Trump. I don't know if he Lester. 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 But uh, his hair is, you know, slicked back, but with an artful loose strand falling forward, you know. Mm-hmm. But this is, like, such a common haircut for him. Yeah. He has his haircut a lot. It's a nice haircut. It's okay. It's, you know, it's a solid haircut, especially by his standards. It's, yeah. it's, it's good. It's good. I'm going to give it a four. Four? Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Saucy. <laughs> <laughs> Real saucy. And with that, Jake, I am going to send things right on over to you. All right. I loved your segment, Chaz. I thought it was okay, really just a nice little bow thanks. tied around it there. Thanks. Real good. All right. So for 1993. Dylan who, sir? Huh? Dylan who, sir? Uh, Dylan Dylan. Okay. Dylan, just you know, you know who it is. You know who it is. In fact, if you don't know, let me tell you about the man named Bob <laughs> Dylan right now and what he hey, was whoa, doing hey. in 1993. In 1993, uh, Dylan was trapped firmly between taking a career victory lap and being a total legacy act and also trying to inch forward towards something new. Um, so to wit, he also had two albums this year. Um, one... Uh, was a studio album, and one was a live album. Um, and before I tell you about those, I just want to tell you that for the, maybe the first and only time, no, he must have been a free agent for maybe just a little bit in the 1970s. But he, uh, Dylan was actually a freelance artist for several Whoa. months this year. He, he finished... He was one of those guys, he just found a decent record label and was with it forever. Yeah, almost always. He 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 did take a detour the in the 70s. Yeah, he's on Columbia. Um, he finished one of these onerous, like, you have to put out an album every year contracts yes. in, 19, yeah. in 1993, which, you know, don't feel bad for him. He signed all of those contracts. And then he. Well, and like, I'm thinking of some of Bowie's label problems in the early 2000s when they wouldn't release the albums he made. Like, that's how Toy Never got released. Yeah. Because they're like, no, we're going to wait longer. The uh, album cycle, they're not ready. The market's not ready for blah, 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 yeah. blah. With Dylan, by the end of the 80s, they were just like, it doesn't matter. They're not going to sell. Just put them out, baby. <laughs> just put them out. Um, so during during this short hiatus, he did, at the end of the year, he did sign back up with Columbia um, for another 10 yeah. albums, which I think just ended, actually, because he stopped putting albums out every year. Um, so what he wanted to do with this is he took money out of his own pocket and arranged what was supposed to be a TV special and an accompanying acoustic album to be released. Hmm. Uh, so he went to the Supper Club in New York, and he did an intimate acoustic set there with a band. Um, it's pretty good. I watched it. It's heavily bootlegged, of course. Um, you of can course. You easily watch this thing on YouTube. 
Um, but for reasons unknown to everyone but him, he just scrapped it. Totally scrapped it. Uh, he well, lost, he lost. If it like, was good, then that's your answer right there. Jake. He paid for everything. He paid for all the soundboarding. He paid for the band. He paid for the venue. He paid for the all the fancy cameras to come in. All this stuff, and he just he just lost like a couple mil <laughs> for who knows. <laughs> so this seems like an extremely obvious bootleg series right here. I know it's like it's there. I mean, there's even like artwork online that looks pretty dope. Like they should just they should just <laughs> talk to the actual bootleggers. Just this do time. it. Just yeah, do it. Just do it. Well, then uh, I'm sorry to the bootleggers. Dylan's got to have it somewhere. He's got it. He owns it. It's his. Where Dylan's handlers are, know how to get it. So he's second. So I guess Columbia would have to buy it from him if they haven't already. But we'll we'll see if that ever happens. <laughs> All right. They just have to license it. They don't have to buy it. All right, Chaz. Do you want to hear what? about Do you want to hear about his studio album first, or do you want to hear about the live album first? That's up to you. Which one came out first? I think Switch chronolo- chronological. All right, all right. So the 30th anniversary concert celebration—that's what came out first. Yeah. Um, so in late 1992, um, there was what was organized as a huge tribute concert to Bob Dylan that um, took place at Madison, Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Eighteen thousand people, total sellout, yep. standing room only. It yeah. was uh, broadcast live as a syndicated radio program at the time, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. was filmed and you know professional recording equipment and all that stuff. And yeah. um, yep. it's general. It's it's considered one of the most star-studded, if not the most star-studded, tribute concerts ever. You shared this with me, and it's it's pretty. It's unbelievable. It's, it's wildly all the people that showed up. Um, now, before I have a I have a pretty fun game for this, um, but before but before we do that. Um, I just want to say that this there was there was a controversy corner for this one. Uh, Ooh. Ooh. We've, we've already said her name in this episode. Sinead O'Connor was supposed to. Perf- hey. She was supposed Did to she perform. Just tear up a picture of the Pope. Or, Why don't you, know? you let me tell the story, Chaz? Oh. What I I was just joking. I didn't realize it was actually part of. This That's exactly what happened. But let me let me okay. Let's go back to the beginning. Sinead O'Connor. <laughs> Maybe you've uh-huh. heard of her. She was uh, supposed yeah. to. She was supposed to perform the song, the Bob Dylan song "I Believe in You," and she even went through the rehearsals and such like that. Got it all squared up. She was on the schedule, but days earlier, days before the performance, she tore up a picture of the Pope live on, on Saturday on Night SNL. Live. That's right. Um, and she actually went to the concert, the Dylan one, and she took the stage, but she got booed off of it. Wow. And as she was leaving, she started reciting lyrics from the Bob Marley song War as she got booed off the stage. <laughs> and that happened, I guess, pretty early in the show. And so everyone was like, that was weird. <laughs> that was weird. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Elvis Costello was supposed to perform uh, Positively 4th Street, but he had visa troubles at the time, and so he couldn't make oh, it. Oh, too bad. That's right. That would have been cool. That would have been helpful with, with the next segment if Elvis Costello had appeared in this. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, Bob Dylan himself went through all of the rehearsal processes, uh, but this is, as is extremely Bob Dylan about this whole thing, the organizers of the concert weren't actually sure if he was going to show up for the concert. <laughs> so they deliberately, having learned some lessons, some hard lessons in the past, they deliberately <laughs> set up the concert so that Bob Dylan didn't need to be there. <laughs> they were going to have all these luminaries, you know, which we'll mention in a second. They were going to have everybody sing all this stuff um, and do the whole tribute concert. You know, the tickets had been sold, but they just were like, Bob may or may not show up for this thing. And in fact, he almost didn't. He got there late. 
<clears throat> but he did do his part. <laughs> he sang several for songs his own at the end. Concert. Yeah, for his own tribute concert, which he had already rehearsed for. It's not like they were like, "Hey, just show up." They're like, uh, they kind of counting on him. But I mean, know. he obviously like shows up to stuff regularly. He's had a never-ending tour that's gone on for. Yeah, years. I, I just think maybe he's so. I think at the time he was very uncomfortable with this idea of being. Yeah, I mean, a, I could see that. He hates, like, you know, he hates the super fans. So why would he? You know, like, right, right. Why did? Why did he need? <laughs> they really didn't need him, to be honest. No, they didn't. Look at what's going on. You know. <laughs> I mean, he wrote all those songs. Well, the listeners that at home likes. don't know, you know how big this list is, but Sinead O'Connor and Elvis Costello, just to start, everybody. Well, and that they're not even on the list because they weren't really there. I mean, Sinead O'Connor was, but we don't count her. Yeah, she got. We're booing her off the stage yet again. Ooh. All right, so let's get into it here. So I sent I Charlie. The Pope. I sent Charlie twenty-one artists that performed at the concert live, yeah, um, and who are also on the uh, the two CD uh, release that they put out of this. And I asked him to rank them in order of his personal preference for each artist, not necessarily in nineteen ninety-three, but like overall. And now, I, big, go ahead. Oh, you go on. You keep going, and then I'll I'll say my thing. Okay, so I ranked them as well. And what we're gonna do is we're just gonna go down the list. He's gonna give me his ranking number. I'm gonna say my ranking number, and we're gonna see the artist that makes the is the biggest difference between our okay. preferences. Does that make sense? Here's here's the thing, Jake. Oh no. This list is like a super, super Jake list. Yeah. Like these are like big, giant, important. Artists who I respect, yeah, but that not that I like particularly. I'm a fan of. That's fine. So I found that difficult to get do anything past about the top five. So you I didn't did rank loosely, them. I did loosely rank them, but I oh, found it very yes. difficult for everything past about number five. <laughs> you had time to do. I eight. did it. I did it, Jake. I'm just saying, right. like, I don't. I don't have strong convictions about. That's why you don't have this. to. You don't. That, that's part of the point. I want to see which artist we agree on the most. And which one we disagree on. I really only care, like, really care about, like, the top three. Doesn't matter, Chaz. We're going to just go through it. We're going to see what happens. All right. I tried tried to base as much as possible towards the top on ones that actually own albums by. Sure. That's fine. And I kind of, like, gave up after that because, I don't know. (laughs) Whatever your criteria. So so what you're saying is if I said the name John Mellencamp, did you rank him 1 to 21 or did you just... Say I don't like he's, John he, uh, He's at number 13? I don't know. All right. He's at, past, he's, no, past the top 10, it was really hard. Okay. So he, I didn't really do it, put much effort into it. He's at 19 for me. I don't like John Mellencamp okay. very much at all. So that's a six-point difference. What about Stevie Wonder? Uh, I had him at number eight. Okay. I had him 16, so that's an eight-point difference. What about Lou Reed? Who was Lou God- Reed had number one. I had a Lou Reed at number one. Okay. Lou Reed was god-awful at the concert, but it was 1993. Well, I bet he was. <laughs> I had him at I'm number... I'm not saying that. I'm saying overall, I like Lou Reed, not necessarily Lou Reed in 1993. I had uh, I had Lou Reed at number 10, so that's a nine-point difference. Okay. All right. What about Eddie Vedder and basically Pearl Jam? Nah, I put in number seven because I used to own Pearl Jam. Okay. One, one Pearl Jam albums. He was at number four for me, so that's our, okay. that's our closest one. I'm going to tell you who's going to be the closest, Jake. Don't say it. The audience, well, the yeah. audience doesn't I'm know. Even in my brain. Going. That's <laughs> what. Keep... I, I like. I want to have it written down on a piece of paper so I can show it to you or the camera. Why don't that. you? Yeah. Okay. Just to prove it to nobody. You. Who oh, yeah. you, Jake? <laughs> I learned it from watching you. All right. How about Tracy Chapman, a childhood legend? Uh, I had her at number well. six. I kind of like Tracy Chapman. Me too. I had her at twelve. Uh, what about Johnny Cash and or June Carter Cash? Number three. Ooh, number three. I had him at five. Okay. Okay. So that's a two point difference. Uh, Willie Nelson. Uh, Willie Nelson had number 11. 
number 11. I had him at seven. Uh, Willie Nelson became, like, weirdly the best interpreter of Dylan's 80s work for some reason. I'm not sure how that happened, but he, like... <laughs> they were really, both stoned the entire time. He really gets into it, and he does, like, good job. All right, what about Chris Christopherson? Uh, number 14. All right, I'm at 13. That's One really point close. difference. We're almost agreeing. <laughs> <laughs> I just completely... This is... Chris Christopherson is in that realm of complete indifference for me. Yeah, he's uh, he does a lot of good country music kind of stuff, but I don't like his versions as much as other people's. All right, Johnny Winter. <laughs> Number 15. I had him complete at tw- indifference. I had him complete at tw- indifference zone. I had him at 21. He was your last place one, huh? Yeah, although he is an absolute hot lick machine. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> he is just... I put, I put like... That's all he does is hot licks. I put the ones that I didn't know at the very bottom. Yeah, and that's fine. Although now I'm looking at my very bottom one and I do know that it is, so I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> Again, I just like... So you screwed past, it up. like the first, the, the top five, I kind of started phoning in. All right, how about Ronnie Wood? Number uh, 16. All right, I had him at, uh, I had him at 18. No, maybe 19, I can't tell. 18. Oh, you had him at 16? All right, uh, Richie Havens. Number 17. 17, I had him at 11. Uh, Neil Young. I, I don't think I know who Richie Havens is. The name oh, yeah, name. he's a folk rocker from the uh, okay. from the 60s. Does these great acoustic versions of lots of people's songs, including Bob Dylan's. Cool, cool. Neat. All right, Neil Young. Uh, number four. All right, I'm at number one. Neil Young's my favorite one out of these. Oh, I didn't, I didn't expect you to be your number one. Uh, what about Chrissy Hind from well, the Well, then Pretenders? I bet, right, I'm really thinking. Uh, Chrissy Hind, I put it at number five. I do, yeah, like, I do her, like the Pretenders. Me too. Uh, I hit her at nine. Uh, Eric Clapton. Um, I have at number 12, but I think that was because, I think Cream brought him up a little bit. Yeah, Cream will do that. Or Derek and the Dominoes, too. Uh, he does this, he was like, Eric Clapton was like super famous in 1993. Oh, yeah. He was like one of the, because he had just done the acoustic, uh, the MTV. Hey, Jake, unplugged. what yeah. Eric Clapton and coffee have in common? They go suck without <laughs> are we, cream. Are we doing this again? <laughs> what, have I done that one before? Yes! <laughs> I don't remember where I got that joke Maybe from. Maybe twice. Game, but I like sharing it for some reason. Most of I like to make fun of Eric Clapton. I, think. I just want to. Oh, I just want you to know that Eric Clapton was doing this kind of vocal thing at the time where it was kind of throaty. He would kind of do this like... How we, how we like kind of like that. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, like a Louis Armstrong type thing, or what? Yeah, but just on just on some of the dips, like to he kind of dipped up to some notes using that. Like, uh, it, wasn't, like it wasn't all the time. It was just like, uh, where do you want this killing done? Out on Highway sixty, <laughs> kind of like that. Well, here's to you, Eric Clapton. Yeah. <laughs> May you uh, love your piles of money forever and ever. <laughs> All right, how about the OJs, which is a great addition to this list? Uh, I've been 18, but I now that I'm thinking about it, I think I, I can't remember. I feel like I know at least one song of the OJs. Yeah, you know the I'm... OJs. They were they were a 70s soul group, um, and they had yeah, a, they, yeah, okay. They had a big hit in the 80s um, with a Bob Dylan song. I can't remember the name of it right now, but they they dragged them out there to um, to sing it. Because uh, because it was their one hit and it redeemed you know it redeemed an eighties Bob Dylan song uh-huh. for them. Uh, the band they formed in nineteen fifty eight. Yeah, they've been around. The band I put at number nine. I had them at number six. Uh, this was without this is just a the band without Robbie Robertson. They uh, the who used to be sort of the leader of the whole outfit. Uh, okay. George Harrison. I had him at number two. I had him at three. And uh, this was his final time of performing in public. 
it turns out. Wow. He died like 10 years after this. But I was going to say, he didn't die shortly after that. No, he but he, he kind of became a hermit. He kind of went into huh. he went into hiding. Um, yeah, so that was kind know. of interesting. Didn't know. Didn't All know. right, what about Tom Petty and or the Heartbreakers? Uh, I put him at number 10. Oh, man, I had him at two. I love me some Tom yeah. Petty. I know. All right, what about Roger McGuinn from The Birds? Yeah, I had him at number 20 because I really didn't know. You know, like I couldn't All identify right, I, him at I had him at eight. That's a big. That's our biggest difference so far. There you go. Uh, the Clancy brothers, who are an Irish. I had no clue who they were. Yeah, okay, were. okay. Like, Twenty-one for them. They didn't sure. Know who they were. I had them at seventeen. Um, they are an Irish. They were. They were made up of actual brothers at at the time, but they were an Irish vocal group in the folk scene in New York in the early '60s and late '50s. So they okay. be, they befriended Bob Dylan, or Bob Dylan befriended them all the way. I'm back. picturing. We haven't brought up Inside Lewin Davis in a while, Jake. Yeah, that's that's the, the time. Time was right. That's the I'm time. Picturing those guys in, in the in the cable knit sweaters. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know if they were sweater. They were a little rougher than the the sweater guys. Okay. They were like Irish drinking songs. Like they were real. Okay. They're like real, like you know, Hellraisers. And the old triangle. Yeah. Old no, that's them. That's them. <laughs> that's them. That's them. That's them. That's yeah. Okay. All right, and then the three. Our last, our last uh, performer here is a three-headed monster of early ni- <laughs> early nineties, you know, soft-spoken singer-songwriters: Mary Shapin Carpenter, Roseanne Cash, and Sean Colvin, who was big for a minute there. I had nineteen, but I don't know. I, I had fifteen. I had fifteen. All right. So looking back here, that's everybody that performed at least on the CD and on the special. It looks like Charlie and I agree most on George Harrison. Only a one-point difference there. Oh, also Chris Christopherson. Though <laughs> <laughs> well, mine was completely random on that one. Yeah, Chaz doesn't even care. <laughs> Chaz is trash. Hey, that's a pretty star-studded yeah. extravaganza. And our biggest difference Buddy. is Roger McGuinn from The Birds, which makes a certain amount of sense. All right, so I will describe more <laughs> what the album, uh, the album that came out sounds like um, during our points section. Um, it was number 40 in the U.S., uh, I just want to, uh, uh, maybe I'll save that for the video. I have a, a fantastic, you know, game that you're going to love that won't take too long, but I think, uh, uh, that was during a video portion. So I'll do that in the points as well. All right. Uh, Bob Dylan also sang and wrote a song with Willie Nelson on Willie Nelson's 1993 album, Across the Borderline called Heart Band. Yeah. Yeah! Yeah, they were buddies, so much so that Bob Dylan appeared and actually spoke to somebody on Willie Nelson's CBS TV special called The Big 6-0. That's a thing that happened. <laughs> on TV. So another tribute kind of a thing, this time for so Willie wait, Nelson. Willie Nelson turned 60. He did, in 1993. Willie Nelson is almost 90 years old? Yeah, Willie Nelson's old. How did he live that long? I don't know. A lot of pot. <laughs> Smoked a lot of marijuana. Well, I, guess, I guess he was just pot. Like I, was, I mean, I'm like, seeing like just drugs, but well, pots, you know, that's different. Yeah, it's different than, exactly. than drugs, you know. Yeah, he's been around forever. He wrote. I mean, we can all be confused as how Keith Richards is still alive, but no, Willie Nelson was keeping it. You know, he's keeping it laid back. He's relaxed. relaxed he was fella. a. It was he, all the he was a, a DJ in his teenage years in Camas, Washington, where I live. That's a true fact. What Willie Nelson was? Yeah. Uh, he also <laughs> when he was. When he was young, he wrote uh, the Patsy Cline smash hit "Crazy." He wrote that song. I did not know he Crazy. wrote that song. So that's Crazy. Crazy for feeling no. so lonely. That's how long he's been around, um, oh, and hey. so he kind of got famous along with the other kind of country western fellows in the fifties yeah. and sixties. But he was like ten years older than every everyone at the time. Yeah. 
Hey, there you go. There's some fun De facts De about Harry Nelson. Okay, let's go on to the studio album. This is an interesting one, Chaz. It's called World Gone Wrong. Oh, it man. is Bob Dylan. You know, the world did go wrong. It went right. I'm so glad that it turned back to right later on. <laughs> Things are great right now, by the way, <laughs> in the world. Oh, yeah. Really fantastic. Um, so this is the final album on his 19, uh, the contract he signed with Columbia in 1988. It is his second in a row of acoustic albums, um, just him, guitar, voice, harmonica, covering folk songs. Um, for which, oh, hey. You know, not a lot oh, of people, hey. oh, not a lot of people knew um, them. The, the first album was the year prior called uh, Good As I Been To You. It was kind of a light, you know, jaunty affair. Mm -hmm. um, this one, World Gone Wrong, is darker and deals with much more tragic themes. Mm. It's eerie, mm -hmm. enticing, dark, brooding, bloody, and murderous. So not smooth and sophisticated. Not not really a club <laughs> sophistication level. Here. No, okay, all right, all right. Just just check it. Just check um, it. All fourteen of the songs were recorded in Bob Dylan's Malibu garage, and apparently <laughs> he did this in you know several days, and he didn't change his strings not once the whole time. His guitar strings. He Bad. was just like he just good, good to know. Good to know. <laughs> know. That's a fun fact. That's a fun fact for you right there. He also did not shower. Did not change his clothes. Didn't brush his teeth. Nope. Uh, several bottles of gin later. Here comes an album. <laughs> um, he actually wrote his own liner notes for the album, uh, possibly to dispel some of the controversy surrounding the last album in which he claimed that he wrote a bunch of these songs, but they were actually traditional songs arranged by Bob Dylan. This is yeah. obviously yeah. a theme in his career. So this time he was... <laughs> all of them are traditional, comma, arranged by Bob Dylan. He wrote all the liner notes, which are actually quite interesting. He got he got uh, probably more praise for the liner notes than he did for the actual album. It well, was, well done, Bob. It was the first liner notes he had written <laughs> since the 60s. Um, <laughs> as you can imagine, um, and if you can believe it, they are strange and verbose, the liner notes are. <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah, I, I know. It. It's out of character. Very easy to boom. believe in. <laughs> yes. It's the easiest thing to believe ever. <laughs> makes perfect sense. Uh, World yeah. Gone Wrong was number 70 in the U.S. It peaked at number 70. Uh, number 35 in the U.K. It got warm, it got warm reviews from, from critics, but like, it just didn't sell. Um, to me, it is by far the superior of the two acoustic albums. Um, my personal history with it is this is one of the last like little periods of Bob Dylan's career um, that I like discovered, you know, like out of the blue. Mm -hmm. And I was like, mm -hmm. wow, this is awesome. You know, and you really, one of the things I miss about knowing everything about Bob Dylan is that there's no, there's no little nooks and crannies left to discover. I've yeah, discovered no, them I, all. I can see that. I can see that with Bowie too. There's just nothing. No, I mean, unless I start. Yeah, you, know, you know about a couple areas like uh, that, like whatever his TV special was that, you know, you know right. I have. But, right, I didn't know about that. So that's kind of cool. But, uh, but it's not a whole like, genre you know it's no not like it's whole... not gonna be like gigantic surprises yeah. of you know some album you didn't know it was already buried somewhere yeah and has and has leaked already and i found the uh, i found the songs on here then and now like very alluring like there's some real rough like murder ballad kind of stuff on here yeah like, yeah from the 1800s um it makes me think about you know people don't write songs like that anymore it's not like appropriate anymore but that uh -huh. used to for whatever reason, that used to soothe and comfort people to hear like <laughs> songs about like awful. Oh, sure. There's some real murderous stuff mm -hmm. on here. But like you know, this was in the period when you know, like "Oh My Darling Clementine" was written, and that's yeah. basically about a 
woman, uh, a young girl falling in a river and drowning. And then the guy, mm-hmm. to, to soothe his pain, he marries the sister afterwards. And kids, oh, nice. kids sing all gonna, the... You know, I'm going to have to listen to those lyrics the next time. That's oh, yeah. Go, go, get a full, <laughs> go get a full set of lyrics. They obviously don't, <laughs> they don't sing the nasty stuff in school, but yeah. it's pretty funny. Uh-huh. Um, all right. And then Bob also, the, the, last, the last acoustic album... Uh, good as I've been to you. Just it didn't it didn't have any style to it. It was just like here's Bob singing some songs. Froggy went a courtin' figured heavily in the whole thing, which is <laughs> terrible for everyone. What is it with him and Froggy went a courtin'? Well, <laughs> I think it's us with Froggy went a courtin'. I think <laughs> yeah, we've made maybe. it a big deal. He put it on an album one time. Well, I mean, why would he do that? I mean, he was just you know he was just thinking the songs that he liked. He wasn't writing his own songs at that time, so he was just mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm sitting in my garage, just like today, Jake, just I'm, like today. I'm having a pop. Uh, <laughs> Froggy, want a cool bringing a sun draft, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> just a cold bottle of suds, pretty much. <laughs> anyway, he did a, he did a lot more thinking, I think, about the songs on this one, and he had a style to it. He started. Uh, there's a there's a video that he put out, which we'll give points to later, but uh, he's wearing hobnail boots, top hat, cane, leather gloves, long tailed coat. He's got his uh he's got his like kind of eighties eighteen hundreds uh suit shirt buttoned all the way to the top without a tie. Yeah, you know sure, that kind of look. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Does he have a bullet tie? No tie. No. No tie. Um, he looks like a dandy coroner. That's what I like. To say. <laughs> so I picture dandy coroners in a string tie or a bolo. Yeah, he doesn't have that. The rest of the mm. look, the rest of the look doesn't. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, Interesting. And Interesting choice, Bob. Interesting yeah. choice. So this was, I think this was one of his coolest albums in a while. Like he was not cool in the 80s. And yeah, uh, you know, ironically, he spent so much time looking for like a slick studio mm-hmm. sound in the 80s and trying to catch up mm-hmm. with everybody that... You know, to get his mojo back, like he actually had to just go and be an acoustic troubadour again. And I think I think it worked. And what else works is you're in fro. You ready for that? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, I just got kind of a little, you know, a little short paragraph about the year in fro this time. Um, Whether allowed to take center stage at Madison Square Garden, or neatly tucked under a fetching 1800s top hat. Dylan's hair in 1993 was really fro mendus. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you think of that? I'll let them go. I'll let them go. Yep, yep. I don't have yep. I don't have points or anything. I gotta I gotta do something with your and fro. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, your you know your your reaction was not as cool as I thought it was going to well, be. Well, I, I laughed. I legitimately laughed to fro mendus. Yeah. I know when you're fake laughing. I've done that this. That wasn't a fake laugh. All right, I wouldn't. I don't need to fake laugh. I would just make fun of you instead. <laughs> oh, he also, uh, Dylan also performed on Letterman in 1993. Well, good. And, um, you know, just to tie this whole thing Oh, he performed on Leno. So here, the, the rivalry gets even stronger in 1993. Oh, yeah, that was, that was a big rivalry <laughs> back then. But also, I know. I know in the early 90s, Leno Our senior started. hall's like, hey, guys, can't we just all get along? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's like, no, your show's canceled. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> the big boys are playing here, Arsenio. Um, it's just, it's it's only, you know, interesting because Dylan, like, almost never did stuff like this. He didn't, like, yeah. go on the talk shows like uh, like Bowie tended to do with his yeah, album Bowie cycles. Yeah, all the time, yeah. Um, so Dylan had just, put, of course, put out an album, but he didn't play any of the songs off the album. 
he played Forever Young, just to kind of... <laughs> just to mess with everyone. Yeah, and just, you know, it's that thing where he had one foot in the legacy thing and one foot in trying to move on. But he, you know, he was still at least a little concerned about his popularity. So yeah. he went there and he played a song that he knew everyone would love. And they did. And they did. did. They, they loved did. it! They were like, yeah, I know this one! Yay! All right, let's do some points. What do you say to hey, that? Hey, points! Let's point it out. All right. Black Toy White Noise. Yeah. Smooth, sophisticated club sound. Love it. Uh, second best comeback album of his career, but it's only okay. It's decent, but not great. Okay. Um, but it does like very clearly uh, point towards outside, which would be, I mean, the two albums, point towards outside, which would be the next album, would be one of his best post, you know, golden years album. And Earthling's a good solid album. Wop, wop, so um, it did go number one in the UK. No way, um, really? It did. It hey, did. Sweet man. Uh, and the main, the first, the lead single jump. They say I didn't write what they did, but it did well too. Uh, I'm giving it one point. Okay. One out of a possible five. Sure. Like from negative five to five, I'm giving it a one. Nice. All right. Next up is Buddhist of Buddha of Suburbia. I would also describe that album as decent, but not great. Okay. <laughs> um, great. It's like Black Tiger White Noise. You know, it's got it's it's got some heavy singles and everything. It's got that going on. Blue Suburbia is definitely a little more experimental. There's multiple instrumental tracks on there, uh, which is not something Bowie did super regularly. Oh, there's a couple on Black Tie White Nose, too. Um, yeah, it's more experimental. It's a clearer preview of Outside, of where he's going with Outside, which ends up being much more experimental and being a much more successful album. Um, it just feels like kind of lightweight, anyway. Uh, Bowie maintained for a few years afterwards that it was his favorite of all of his albums. But he eventually stopped saying that, so good for him. Um, I also give that one point. Okay. Singles. He has four singles in 1993. Good. Three from Black Tie White Noise. They are Jump, They Say, Black Tie White Noise, and Miracle Good Night. Uh, Jump, They Say is a decent song. Um, that was the one that actually made the most, like that's the one you might actually have heard of somewhere in there. That one made a little bit of a dent in the charts. Um... It is at least somewhat inspired by his uh, half-brother's death by suicide, oh. jumping in front of a train. Ooh. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I don't know the whole... I can't figure out his lyrics. I can't figure out the whole thing. I also say that all three, the first, the Black Tie White Noise uh, singles, all three of them have awesome, have really cool videos. They, like, he put some he put some work into those videos, and they're cool. Trying to say is it, is it decent, but not great, which is the theme. I'm, I'm going zero on this one. Okay. It's not amazing, but it's okay. Uh, next up was the single, Black Tie White Noise. It features the famed rapper Jake. Maybe you've heard of him. His name is Al B. Sure. No, you haven't heard of him. No. I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> <laughs> I have his super deluxe box set, but other than that. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Al B. Sure is his name. And apparently the two really enjoyed each other. They were on Arsenio together. And they seemed like they were just like pals. They just seemed like they were having a good time. Everyone's just, just like really enjoying whooping it up. Uh, Black Tie White Noise, the song, is inspired by the Los Angeles riots. Which are ninety uh, three? Yes. Yeah. Bowie was there during the riots. Really? He and Iman were there at the time when this, like, they were there. I think personally on their honeymoon. I forget, but wow. they were like in a hotel room, and like Bowie couldn't leave the hotel. Like yeah. it, was, you know, it was too dangerous for him to leave. You know. Oh. And so this really got him thinking a lot about Iman being black, of course, just thinking mm. about this, how this all, you know, how this all works, and him like not like trying to understand, you know, the perspective and. Um, and kind of come to a point where it's like, why don't, you know, why doesn't my wife want to attack me? Like, white people have treated black people so bad for so long. And so it's kind of like, it's it's a very political, very culturally aware white versus black thing. 
With that said, I don't really like the song very okay. much. Like, I like the thoughts and, and things behind it. Al B. Sure does nothing for me. Um, he's not actually rapping in it. He's singing in it. But they're, uh, they're duetting pretty pretty hard about, uh, you know, how they don't want to kill each other. They, they say that. Good job. Good job, <laughs> You guys. don't want to kill me? You won't kill me? You won't kill me? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's real life. Bringing the world together. There will be blood, no doubt about it. I mean, <laughs> we're talking about the, the Los Angeles riots. It was a big deal, but uh, yeah, it does course. nothing for me. I'm going with a negative 0.5 on that, on that buddy. Okay. And last one is Miracle Goodnight, which actually is a pretty catchy uh, catchy track. I like it. Catchy! The music video features Bowie wearing weird costumes, which are kind of fun. And at one point, uh, I didn't write this down. That's the one, though. He uh, he does an obvious impression of Buster Keaton. Oh. He's a film star. Oh, and I'm a big the, fan oh, of films. And so I had to give him, like, Bowie was a fan of Buster Keaton. And it comes up. It's one of those weird, you know, one of those things that just comes up weirdly at, from time to time. And so he does at the end of the video, he's like pretending to be Buster Keaton doing this Buster Keaton routine, which I really quite enjoyed. Way to go. So uh, I'm giving that one a 0.5. All right. Finally, we have the single Buddha of Suburbia from mm-hmm. the album Buddha of Suburbia, mm-hmm. written for the TV show show Buddha. Uh, Buddha of Suburbia. Of Suburbia. It's, it's an okay song, but not amazing. The video is lackluster. Um, it's one of those classic soundtrack songs where Bowie's singing. You know, he's like walking down the street singing, and then it switches in completely unrelated random clips from the show. You know? Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, love it. It's a classic, it's a classic trope. Yeah, when did they stop doing that? Maybe. Soundtrack yeah. movie. Like, why can't we do a better music video than this? I don't like know. It. They did it. There's like 20 years of that, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's a bad video. It's an okay song. I'm giving it a zero. Okay. Now, Jake, I do want to bring up, while we're in singles here, yeah. a little segment I like to call Remix Fever. <laughs> Bowie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> loved his remixes he for sure the 80s did. and 90s. Sure as you did. know that, and they reached their pinnacle wow. in 1993 the with Black White Okay. Miracle Goodnight Jake uh-huh. had five remixes, five officially released remixes. Black Tie White Noise had 12 officially released oh, remixes. That's exhausting. And Jump They Say gets a BBD award for what? the most remixes <laughs> with 13 official remixes. <laughs> Which, counting the album version and the, uh, you know, single edit, 15 versions of Jump They Say, 15 distinct versions of Jump They Say came out in 1993. Uh, You're here to rank them all for us right now. (laughs) (laughs) I sent you a list of the different ones. You looked at the (laughs) list. Which Uh, one did you like the best? If you... Now, there were a couple, like, random remixes of a few other songs, like two or three other songs in the album. Yeah. Uh, if you listen to all those remixes, this is three hours and 24 minutes <laughs> of remixes were, were released in 1993 by him. Oh. Just the remixes is not including the original songs. Yeah, don't. Yeah. Well, who needs them? You need. You I got, put, you got I the put, remixes. I put the time in on this one. Three hours. I did not listen to them all, and I will never listen to them all. No, that's fine. I am hereby promising you, my listeners, I will not listen to all three hours and 24 <laughs> minutes of the night of the Black Tie Whiteness remixes. All the listeners. With that said... Yeah. There was at one point it was the tenth anniversary of Black Tie Whiteness. There was the deluxe edition with a like bonus disc that it just included like a selection of remixes. I did listen to that, and the remixes were better than I expected them to be. It's not okay. like they're like amazing, but they were solid. They're way better than the '80s remixes, for instance. Sure. And like uh, the Dancing in the Street remixes or the uh, Labyrinth remixes, for instance. So you could- down remixes. These are way better than those. So you could tolerate like three hours, and then finally you were like, ah, this last <laughs> I'm 24 break it down minutes. I'm going to down at three. The last 24 minutes, can't do it. Yeah, can't do can't it, do can't it. do it. 
So good. And our final thing on here is the black tie white noise VHS tape. Oh yeah. It's a you know like hour long tape. Yeah. It includes uh, obviously over rehearsed interviews. Uh, they're kind of bland, but there's some interesting stuff in there. And some fairly boring music videos, not including, although the uh, the actual official music videos were included at the end, apparently. But the ones throughout are just really, like, obviously low-budget, boring ones. It's just all pretty, like, it's just really bland. The whole thing is really bland. It doesn't include all the songs of the, I don't know. It's not nearly as good as the official videos, is all I'm saying. Sure. It's just a nothing. It's another zero. Okay. Just a lot of, like... <laughs> it didn't happen, basically. <laughs> so that brings us to two. 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 Two points. Two oh, points. Is, yeah. Okay. I see where that. I yeah. see where the yeah. two is. Yeah. The singles cancel each other out. Okay. The albums. Two. All right. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Uh, so for Bob Dylan in 1993, uh, we're going to start with World Gone Wrong, the studio album. Um, I think this. I think this one has like a lot of style and a lot of substance. I think it's what. It's kind of the the epitome of what he was trying to do at the time. Yeah. And then after that, he took like four years off before he released Time Out of Mind. Right. Um, which was yeah, which, you know, really Maybe brought him back. And, back. and I'm not sure that this actually brought him back, but I think, you know, he kind of reached the end of himself with trying to be popular and such. And so yeah. he just, he went and did what he wanted to do again, which is what he always yeah. succeeds at, like whatever he wants. Which to again, do. The, the parallels between Bowie and Dylan and like their careers up and ups and downs sometimes yeah. really ma- like match yeah. each other really well, almost in the same years. Yeah. And that's yeah. the that, that was Tim Machine for Bowie. Was even though it sucked, it was what him doing what he wanted to do. Right. And then moving to Black Tie White News, he was less concerned with being popular and just doing the music he was more interested in. Which yeah. And this uh, World Gone Wrong achieves both. It's both good and what he wants to do. Yeah. Um, it also. So I'm gonna give the I'm gonna give the album a plus two point five. All right. That's solid. One, nice. of my, one of my favorites in the nineties. Nice. Nice. And then we're gonna move to the single that came off of World Gone Wrong, and then we'll go back to the to the other stuff. He did a single for the song Blood in My Eyes, um, and he did a cool black and white... Sounds video. hardcore. It is. I got blood in my eyes for you, baby. I don't care what in the world you do. <laughs> uh, yeah. He really, likes, yeah. he really likes this girl. He's got blood in his eyes for her. Blood in his eyes. His blood in my eyes. Uh, he did a cool video... I hear like a thrash metal cover of that song. Why don't you can you can go do that? Blood in my eyes, blood in my eyes, blood in my eyes for you. Like that. <laughs> I'm sure one exists. <laughs> I have no doubt. Uh, uh, so Mike for, owns our brother Mike owns a compilation with a punk version of it, no doubt. For the single, uh, Dylan went to London and he got in his dandy corner outfit, which I've already described. Um, <laughs> and he wandered, a bolo tie. he wandered he wandered around London. And they recorded him just meeting people of all ages and styles and ethnicities and such. And uh, he was just signing autographs and meeting them and, like, shaking their hand and people coming up and taking pictures with him. But he just looked so cool and out of place in this, like, old-timey outfit, you know, uh-huh. just wandering around. And everyone's like, I think that's Bob Dylan. And it turned out it, <laughs> it, turned out it was. Spoiler alert for them. Um, and then there's also a cool scene where he's like, walking across a bridge and he's kind of leading this whole group of people who are, you know, dressed in, in 1990s garb, uh, walking beside him or in back of him. So I love the song. I thought the video was pretty neat. And so I give blood in my eyes a plus 1.0 as a single. 
Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. And it, I think it leads. Sounds like it, Jake. Yes. All right, let's go over to. Oh, let's do the never ending tour because we didn't talk about that at all. Uh, this hey, is the, Jake, did it, uh, did it end in 1993? Oh, uh, hold on a sec. Nope. Still going. Uh, right, kind, of, kind of a fresh, kind of a fresh one. It started in 1988. It was just a baby never-ending tour. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure people not were like... like the middle-aged never-ending tour it is now. I'm not sure like people thought maybe this would never end at that time. Maybe they were just yeah, thinking... Yeah, I don't know. It was, was a, like a, you know, this might end as a tour. Yeah, it's like, hey, that's interesting. He's done a tour every year for no reason. But not, <laughs> not like they thought it was going to go on for another 30 years or something like uh-huh. that. Uh, it's the second shortest never-ending tour ever at a at a minuscule 80 shows. A brisk 80 shows. A brisk 80 shows. Still like, would be like Bowie's fourth longest tour ever. <laughs> he went uh, to Europe for 33 shows. He did 40 in North America. He did three in the Middle East, including a couple in Israel. I don't know if that was a controversy back then. It would be now. Um, and then he did, <laughs> at some point, he did a, another leg I call it another frickin' tour with frickin' Santana because he went out <laughs> with Santana again. Uh, Why? Santana. Santana? He wasn't at the he wasn't at the tribute show. Like Santana was. N- it wasn't Santana. That would have made so much sense. I know. Just get him in there with his hot licks, his tasty, <laughs> and his obvious relationship with Bob Dylan. I don't. Right. I don't understand. Wait, wait. The Grateful Dead was also not involved. They weren't. That's shocking, actually, because Jerry Garcia was still alive. I wonder why. Maybe they were on tour mm, or something. Maybe they're so. feuding. Yeah. Let's make it a little juicier, Jake. Don't just make them on tour. All right. You heard it here first, folks. Never before mm-hmm. heard feud that we don't know anything <laughs> about between. <laughs> that was obviously <laughs> happening. <laughs> it was happening. Take it and run with it, somebody. Uh, so I give that a plus 0.5, the never-ending tour from 1993. Uh, let's go on to the 30th anniversary concert celebration it was a double cd also cassette i'm sure uh it debuted at (laughs) number 40 in the u.s um like i said it was recorded in 1992 at madison square garden um it features let's see how many songs are on this bad boy 29 songs that all it all happened in one night and you heard when Chaz and I talked about our the artists that were on this thing, that's that's everybody that was on the the actual on the CD. Um, is Sinead O'Connor on there being booed off? No, she's not on there. Um, there is a. <laughs> if I, was, I was gonna say if Elvis Costello had been involved, he would have been my number one. Yeah, remember. there you go. There you I go. like Elvis. He was trying. I like me some Elvis Costello. He was trying to be involved. I know. Uh, Good for him. So. Good for him. There was a, a deluxe version of this that was actually re-released in 2014 that has some more of the rehearsal footage, and so the Sinead O'Connor mm. rehearsal footage is on there, as well as some extra songs yeah. and such like that. Um, I'll just say that some of the highlights were Eddie Vedder and Mike McCready of Pearl Jam singing Masters of War, which I don't. it, it was an acoustic version. I don't know if you've ever really heard listened to that song, Chez. That thing is, uh-huh. that thing is brutal. Like, talk about a protest song. It's like it almost makes you uncomfortable. The the degree <laughs> to like which war pigs or you know he's like I'm picturing. I'm picturing he's war like pigs. it's very direct. He's like going in on it. Um, okay, Tracy Chapman's version of the times they are changing was actually quite good. Uh, Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash are always delightful. It doesn't even mm, matter what they did, always. but of course they did. It ain't me, babe, which was a hit for them. Um, I mentioned Willie Nelson, uh, Richie Haven's version, whatever he sang was really good. 
Um, he does some nice acoustic guitar work. Uh, let's see. Chrissy Hines. Hers was good. And then... What did Dylan actually do at this concert? Uh, he sang at the very end of the concert. He And I'll talk about one of the things he did in just a minute here because it was a single. But he sang solo, It's All Right, Mom, Only Bleeding. He sang, and he sang for the encore. He came back out by himself and sang Girl of the North Country. Okay. And then he also sang a couple yep. of duets, you know. They did knock, 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 knocking on heaven's door with, like, literally everyone came out on the stage. <laughs> well, you got to do that. Right. You, you got to. You got to we, we are the world it. I know, mean, what do you exactly? At least, at least once. I mean, what are all these stars hanging around here for? <laughs> Let's get them together. Yeah, you can't get them all the way to Madison Square Garden for yeah. one song, you know? <laughs> I'm sure it was like one of those things where they were like, yeah, guys, of course, we're going to get together at the end. But let's make it seem like it's spontaneous. Like, you know, hey, <laughs> hey, guy from the birds, why don't you start singing? And then everyone will be like, oh, oh we should join in on this song. Oh, hey. Everybody. Go make it sound too well rehearsed, everybody. <laughs> right, now just... let's rehearse that song 15 times. <laughs> exactly. It's like, Johnny Winter, get off the stage. Get out. <laughs> Johnny. Get out of here, Johnny Winter. <laughs> <laughs> your licks are too tasty, Johnny. <laughs> Take your licks elsewhere. <laughs> You're overwhelming the proceedings. All right, and then from this um, came a video for a single for the song My Back Pages. And this is uh, the official the official listing is My Back Pages by Bob Dylan featuring Roger McGuinn, Tom Petty, Neil Young, Eric Clapton, and George Harrison. Mm. Boom. Mm. So they all come trotting out. <laughs> Stars! <laughs> uh, wow. they, they all come trotting out and they took they took turns singing the verses. So one of them would step up to the mic and they'd get a nice hearty round of applause while they were singing. Oh, sure, sure. While they were singing some of this. Um, and they came with a video, Chaz, which is so delightful. You may have to go watch it. Um, <laughs> it, it has, uh, it's an early 90s white guy fashion apocalypse is what's happening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I have, this is my last game for you before we, before we bid a, you know, adieu to the, to the podcast. There were 12 people on stage, Chaz. Obviously the people that I mentioned, all, all the yes. stars, the stars who are just like us. And then <laughs> there were like three drummers and, you know, some bass uh -huh. players and et cetera. Like everyone was just wandering around. So out of the 12... <laughs> Out of the 12, how many had an early 90s white guy mullet? And I, think, <laughs> I think you know what I'm talking about. It's kind of the, it's very like, it's very. It's only a soft mullet. It's like. It's, it's so a, soft. Know, it's like. It's a just a, it's a junior mullet. It's not, it's not ready to commit to a full blown, you know. Right. But also. exotic mullet. What's, a, what's very important about it is that the, the front, the, the, the business in the front is so perfectly coiffed. It's oh, like yeah. it's like feathered. Oh, yeah. It's like feathered almost. It's uh -huh. so nice, pillowy. Uh -huh. It's pillowy. Uh, it looks so anyway, like Bowie's front. It's just Bowie didn't have the back at, the, at this at this point in time. Yeah, and there were like a lot of turtlenecks involved. Like it was so early nineties, <laughs> fantastic. Were so there anyway. gold chains over the turtlenecks? Any any of those? Which ones? Any gold chains over the turtlenecks? Oh no no no. We're talking. This is no. this is these are white guys. Chess. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's true. Okay, Very right. white. No, there was suit coats. <laughs> Over the turtle. The white guys didn't start doing that until like '97. No, as soon as it was uncool, they started <laughs> getting into that. As the black guys were done with it. Anyway, how many? How many guys? All right, we had the, 12, 12 They're guys all men. They're all men. Obviously, all men they're all white. I'm gonna go with eight. <laughs> That's you're overshot a little bit. I wish. Oh, it's oh. Uh, it's four. It was uh, oh, only four, Jake. You. 
You, you son of a gun! You built this up too far. I just wanted to describe the white guy mullet. I'm sorry. Uh, so that was Roger McGuinn and George Harrison and two of the drummers. Two of the three drummers. All right. Okay. Um, here's an easy one for you. How many were aging white rockers out of the 12? <laughs> I'm going to go with all 12. You're correct, sir. <laughs> How did you and know? I wasn't sure if Eddie Vedder was involved in this part. He is the only one. <laughs> no, they didn't let no, they don't let the young guys on stage. <laughs> only the old guys. Um, okay. How many had a very choice dyed blonde butt cut haircut? <laughs> you know the time. So four of them are out. Yep. Uh, None of them had the butt cut mullet combo. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad. Too bad. So bad. Uh, I'm going to go with three. Oh, there was only one, unfortunately. Oh, only one. Um, this was G.E. Smith, uh, a, a player you know who Bob Dylan favored. He's also the longtime band leader of Saturday Night Live. Okay. This thing is magnificent. This butt. <laughs> it is just, it's so blonde, and then it's so brown underneath, and it's so combed. <laughs> And it's just right. The, <laughs> the the part is right down the middle, like right down the middle. He had to have gotten a ruler out for that. Just beautiful. <laughs> it's just beautiful. All right. How many of the twelve looked like they already invented grunge rock? Um. Besides, was Neil Young involved? Neil Young was involved. involved. <laughs> okay, well then at least one. <laughs> it was one. It was Neil Young. It was one. Okay, all right. All right. He had the yeah. chops and the hair, and he was wearing a flannel shirt, and he's stomping around uh, uh-huh. all over the place. That guy was really, <laughs> he was really a, a cool guy in 1993. All right, and then... Uh, this kind of like had a comeback. You know, Pearl Jam thought, oh, like, man. You know, relevant people thought he was cool. Yeah, he was the guy. He was the grunge guy. Right, right. Uh, took took the rest of them a little bit of time to to, to catch up, but Neil Young was already yeah. there. All right, and then right. one, uh, the one looked exactly like only Tom Petty could look. How many? How many looked just like Tom Petty? In this movie? Uh, I'm gonna go with two. It was one. It was Tom <laughs> Petty. Oh. <laughs> Come on, I was hoping one other person was really trying hard to look like Tom Petty. No, only Tom Petty looks like Tom Petty. <laughs> um, all right, so that's that. Um, I did. I did kind of enjoy the. The video made me laugh. Obviously, that doesn't make it good. Uh, but the song, the song is kind of it's kind of fun. I'm not really a tribute concert kind of a guy necessarily, but um, the video was kind of fun seeing all those guys come up and, and sing and sing the song. And it's a pretty good performance. It sounds all right. So I gave it a plus point five. Um, did I already tell you what I gave for the album? I did not. I don't know. <laughs> Stay <it> again. Chance, <laughs> are you giving up? This episode's going long. Getting tired. Man. Yeah. Time for you- my nap. Why don't you take one? 30th anniversary concert celebration for Bob Dylan. I'm giving a plus 1.0. It's not all great. Um, some of the some of the performances are pretty vanilla. You know, it's just like kind of like straight ahead blues. You know, with different singers. But there's 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 enough on there. Like if I if you put it on uh, shuffle, yeah, you know, one comes up, it's pretty good. Next one comes up, not so good. You know, there's a couple of pretty sweet performances. Well, you have to shuffle it when it's already different artists every song. I just mean, like, I don't know, Chess. I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> I mean, I'm just like, it's already shuffled, you know? You know what I'm saying? I just... <laughs> You're making too much sense at this hour. Uh, all right, so that's plus, that's plus one. Did I do everything? I think so. All right, so Dylan comes up with a, with a, with a kind of incredible 5.5. That is incredible. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, he was out of his... And I don't think of this as a bad year, but I don't think of this as an amazing year. No, I, I think it was his good his good album, because he, he doesn't have many of those in the 80s and, and early 90s, so... You know, way to go, way to go, Bob. Way to go, Bowie, too, for being completely blah, but still doing, <laughs> well, but still doing it too. He did it too. Yeah. He did it too. Yeah. I'm in. Hey. hey, yo. Next episode, we're bringing things back to the year of Jake's birth. Ah, what a year! 1955. <laughs> I am 70 years old. <laughs> uh, 1980. Yeah, 1980 is the That's year. when I was born. That's the year that you were born. Yep. I remember it well. At the very end. <laughs> the very end. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But still. Still. All right, 1980. That makes me almost 40. That makes... Yeah, I know. I'm looking forward to making fun of you about that. Yeah, that's... For two sweet years. Two, two big years. The two best years of my life. Wow! You know, the two best Boom. years the two best years in my life is when you no, were I, born. I knew you were going to go there. And I was already born, and I had... 1980. I had mom and dad all to myself. Most of, most of 1982. I was listening to Street Legal by Bob Dylan. <laughs> and the, no, Christ, were not. <laughs> the Christian years. All of them. You were not doing it then, and you're not doing it now, okay? <laughs> I, I already said Street Legal was... I, like, I want to like that album, but I just don't. Well... You want to be a dog. Yeah, but maybe I will someday. That's all I got left since I already discovered all of Bob's nooks and crannies, you know? What if (laughs) one of the albums I don't like, I suddenly like? That's all I have left. Sure, sure. I'm sorry. It just sounds really inappropriate when you're talking about Bob's nooks and crannies. (laughs) Hey, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get out of here. Have a wonderful two weeks until we come back at you with another great episode. Uh, Bowie versus Dylan. I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. I'm Jake, and I love Dylan, and I just want to say that I meant to talk about Bob Dylan's first number one song ever on the Billboard charts, Murder Most Foul, the 17-minute dirge <laughs> that makes us all feel <laughs> something in our <laughs> they hearts. They came out a couple weeks ago. They came out a couple weeks ago. It, said, it has a very weird cultural cachet right now. I don't, I don't understand it's it. Strange. It's out. It's everywhere. People are doing parodies oh. of it. It's a number one song. I don't I don't get it. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about it, though. I haven't listened to it yet. Oh, man. Set aside half a day, at least. (laughs) All right, Jazz. Bye.